Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host for this discipleship series, Gwen McCaslin here. And welcome. If you are just now joining us, I I want you to understand kind of where you're at in this series of Wednesday podcasts called Faith Foundations. Um, This is a discipleship series. It is designed so that you would be able to sit down um, husband and wife or even with uh, a child and listen to some of these and really just glean kind of an overview for a book or a topic. Uh, Everything I give, I try to make sure that we are as consistent with Scripture as possible um, and as faithful in our interpretation as um, I'm able. Uh, And so we started out on Wednesdays about a year and a half ago now with an intro to Scripture. And I would just encourage you, if you have not listened to that set of uh, series, uh, those podcasts, go back and start there. Um, because there is some real sweetness to, to going through all of the facts and the details and um, just the specifics of how far God has gone to move in the hearts of his people, to write, um, preserve, to translate his word, and, and to keep it uh, accessible to the most amount of people all the way through multiple generations. Um, and so I would encourage, even if you're a believer that's heard those details before, I like to go back and just do a refresher. And for those of you who would love a refresher in a different format, July's retreat for Faith Foundations will be July 15th. And that's exactly what we do. We review how we got the word of God. We review how God speaks to his people, into the lives of his people throughout the entire Old and New Testament. And then we talk about how to discern the voice of God in this day and age. And so you're welcome to kind of check out details for those. We have a um, email that you can use. Um, actually, I have a couple of them. You can look up Faith Foundation specifically on uh, Facebook. You can look up Open the Word Podcast as well. Um, and then the the email address for Open the Word is openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send an email to Faith Foundations Discipleship at gmail.com. Both of those two email addresses will get to me and I'll give you details and send you some links to sign up for retreats in the future. There is one also coming in October. Um, That one will have a little different content and we are going to be going over the life of Jesus. Um, I don't know. I haven't figured out exactly what I'm titling it yet, Um, but it might be tracing the scarlet thread throughout scripture. Um, But we're going to do... a retreat on Jesus, hopefully in a way that you've never experienced before. Um, And so I wanted to kind of give you those two announcements before I jump into the rest of Acts today. Okay, so I'm going to review very quickly our who, what, when, where, and the why. Um, So the who of the book of Acts is the physician Luke. And he may have had dual citizenship a lot like Paul But we do know that towards the end of Paul's ministry, he did travel consistently with Paul. And he might have had a dual purpose of doing ministry, but also um, helping Paul with injuries and, you know, infirmities and those kinds of things. And so we know that Paul's body would have been through a whole lot. And so he might have had need for a consistent 
um, physician. Um, okay, so the second is the what, and we know that this is this book is a history book for, you know, we talked about the history books of the Old Testament, and this is the history book for the New Testament. Um, and so this covers from the moment that Jesus ascends back into the clouds and into heaven, and the disciples are meeting alone, waiting for what has been promised. Um, and that's the promised Holy Spirit. And so we know that it covers from that time period, which is about... Um, which would have been about 30, 33, somewhere in there, B.C., and then all the way up until Paul's third journey. And so there's kind of a summary of third journey. And then we don't really have the outcome of what happens in Paul's um, life, but it kind of leads up to his last moments. Um, And so that would be roughly um, 80, 85, somewhere in there probably. Um, and I may, that date may change as I kind of get into this a little bit more, a little bit down the road. Um, so that might not be a hundred percent accurate. I'm kind of just throwing that one in there on the top of my head. Um, I'm pretty sure Paul died. Um, John was alive in the, in the 85 and nineties, but I don't think Paul was still around at that point. I think he was gone by the seventies, um, 70 AD or so. Anyway. Uh, where this was recorded, this rec- was recorded in Caesarea and in Rome. Okay, so we, I want you to understand the journey that Acts records go, starts in Jerusalem and then it moves farther and farther away, kind of like if you dropped a stone in a pond, the bubbles just, the, the circles just spread. Okay, and so that's what the book of Acts does is it starts central in Jerusalem, everybody in one spot. They go from about 100 believers up to, um, what did I say last week, 3,000 and 100 and some. Um, And so, and and then it just exponentially just explodes in Jerusalem. Um, And we'll talk about the kind of the dynamics that happen and how it kind of, um, the persecution starts to amp, the political pressure of everything going on, the persecution coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and just the entire system. And keep in mind, Rome, Rome just wants peace. They just want things to go away, quiet down, you know, and so everything they are doing is to quiet this down, make it go away, okay? Because they just don't want insurrection. They just want everybody to just be at peace and we're fine. Um, and so they hated crowds gathered. They hated anything that caused turmoil or chiss. Um, and so they were basically just, <laughs> I gave you an Amish word there, chiss. Um, anyway, but they were just sick and tired of drama in between the different groups that existed in that region specifically. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so the when, this book would have been written between 60 AD and um, 62. Uh, and the why, it was to record how the Holy Spirit acted through believers to spread the word of God throughout the known world. Um, and so the ab- outline of the book, we have chapters one through seven, is that focus in Jerusalem. So if you're looking at a bullseye, it would be your center of your bullseye. That's Jerusalem. Okay. Um, and so this would have been one through seven is the area of Jerusalem. Eight through 11, it move out a layer on the bullseye and it would be Judea and Samaria. Okay. And then 12 through 20 are Paul's journeys. And so you spread out throughout that whole Mediterranean area. Um, Okay. 
And what you need to realize is that there were trade routes and mail routes. And Paul would have taken some of those routes and some of the ship passages to get to certain towns along the way. Because when the persecution in Jerusalem got intense enough, people fled to, to get safety or they were chased out or driven out of Jerusalem. And so they would have gone along those trade routes and settled along the way. Maybe as far as they had money to go, maybe to places that they knew someone. Um, we don't really know what would have determined where they ended up. Maybe it was where they felt God called them to go. Um, but we do know that the church kind of scattered throughout the region. Um, Paul started making um, journeys around those regions to different churches and planting churches along the way. Um, and, and we'll see very clearly his pattern when he got to certain places was he would go into the synagogues that were already there and he would reason with the Jews for at least a day or two, if not two or three, sometimes a week or more, because he always took the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he always gave the Jews in town a chance to recognize Jesus from the Old Testament. And if or when they couldn't do that, then he would spread the news among the Gentiles. Um, and so that's kind of the beauty of how he just set up his ministry to naturally flow. Um, chapters 21 of Acts through 28 Paul is taken to Rome. And I want you to remember that in Rome, he was a Roman citizen. And so he enjoyed a lot of perks as a Roman citizen. And some of them were, uh, was the judicial process, that you couldn't just be punished for something without being handled a very specific way because you're a Roman citizen. And so it, it, citizenship was something in that you... Um, you aspired to. It was kind of difficult to get. It sometimes had to be purchased. Um, you know, it was, uh, you weren't just naturally born a Roman, okay? And so I want you to understand the specificness of this and the significance of Paul having that. It would have allowed him to move, move around the Roman kingdom um, with ease. It would have allowed him to expect a level of protection from any Roman soldier in the region. Um, it just would have afforded a lot of privileges, kind of like a visa, um, does when you're inside of a country. You're there legally, you can move around freely, um, that kind of a thing. Okay, so that gives you your basic structure for an outline for the book of Acts. And so there's kind of four divisions. Um, the key verse for the book of Acts comes out of Acts 1, verse 8. And it says, But you will receive power, or dudamas, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, inner circle, uh, next layer out, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the known world. Okay, which would have been all the way out throughout the entire region of um, Asia Minor, uh, Turkey, um, Syria, all of those places, um, all the way over to Greece, Athens, um, Rome, um, basically anywhere that a ship traveled for trade or, you know, a trade route went would have been where the gospel spread. Okay. So the one thing I was, I said I was going to explain to you was, um, how Rome viewed believers throughout the book of Acts. 
Um, and this comes from a couple of contemporary writings um, to scripture. Uh, we have a guy named Tortillion. We have a guy named Pliny the Younger, um, who wrote, he was basically a lawyer for the Roman government. Um, and so he wrote about Christians from basically a prosecutor type stand. Um, and if you want an easy, accessible explanation of all of this, um, I'm going to direct you guys to Can We Trust the Gospel by Peter Williams, Peter J. Williams. Um, and on Audible, it, uh, audiobook, it's completely free with a membership, but um, you can actually order it for about $12 or so on Amazon. But it is... It is a pretty incredible book. It talks all about um, all of the different uh, details and things that um, are so vividly accurate in the Gospels that um, just encourage your heart that you can trust the Gospels for their accuracy. Um, in any case, I want to go into kind of what Pliny talks about. Um, because he is giving advice to another person about how to handle Christians. Um, and some of the things he says about believers at this in first century is really incredible. Um, you know, we have Paul's writings, and so we know the issues that Paul's addressing in those churches, um, in some of the epistles and so on and so forth. But um, I think we miss exactly how they were living in the eyes of the world. Um, and it's a lesson for us, a really harsh lesson in some cases, um, because I, I truly believe there's a lot of believers that put on their Jesus hat on Sunday or their Jesus t-shirt um, and go to church and, you know, watch their mouth and watch their language and watch how they talk about life and how much they're smiling and, and, you know, just really try to put on their best. And then they walk out of their doors and kind of go, whew, and then live how they want to live the rest of the week um, without, giving, without giving God a thought, a second thought on anything. But Christians back in this day, um, there were a couple givens. One given you could absolutely count on is if they were really a Christian, they would not worship any other gods. And so you could literally force a believer to say a chant or, you know, a worship thing to another God and he won't do it. And so his thing is, you know, you ask him three times and if they won't, then cart them off because a true believer, true follower of whatever this movement is that we've tried to put out, um, they, they won't cave. If you ask them three times, they will not cave. Um, and so think about that, <laughs> that an outsider knows that anyone who is legitimately following Christ will not worship any of the Roman, um, any of the gods throughout the region. They won't. Well, realize that in order to get into the marketplace, you had to do a sacrifice sometimes to Caesar or to a false god or, you know, and so their world was saturated with all of these moments where they were faced with the choice, are you going to worship like everybody else does or are you going to worship the one true God? Um, and so <laughs> this is kind of hilarious, but what Christians were charged with was actually atheism in the Roman world because it was not believing in any of the false gods that were worshipped freely throughout Rome and the area. Um, and so isn't that pretty incredible? 
Um, and so, you know, there were other things that were taken um, as just givens. And that was that they met together um, and that they sang these crazy songs to their God and that they would take vows to live honorably. Uh, and then they would carry out that vow. And so you knew that when you were dealing with a Christian, there was nothing else in their life that you could find to get them for, basically. Or there was nothing else to charge them with. Because literally the only thing you could ever find on a Christian back in first century um first century Christendom is that literally the only thing you could find on them was atheism, not believing the false gods in the region. And so, I mean, just (laughs) sit that in front of you and just consider that for a minute. Um, They were so unified in how they lived out their faith that there were just givens for prosecutors in the region. Um, And so... I, yeah, I just, I think, what would the world do today, you know, if they had to prosecute Christians? One of the first things they're going to do is look for the hidden sin, any hidden sin that you can expose them for, because that'll just destroy their testimony. Um, and, and honestly, how many of us would they find something? Um, I will tell you the other day, I was hearing a statistic that whenever they have these big Christian conferences in town, hotels report the largest amount of downloaded pornographic material on those hotel TVs. That should never be. That should never be said of us. That shouldn't have anything to do with us. Um, And so, you know, I just look at some of that, and that is the hypocrisy that's existing within our church. Um, and that is what we need an Asbury revival for. That's what we need the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. And all of that hidden stuff needs to come to the surface and be confessed and walk away from. There needs to be repentance. Um, there needs to be a, t- a 360 turn, or sorry, a 180 turn, and you head in the opposite direction. Um, never to step foot in that territory again. There needs to be a considering ourselves dead to those kinds of sins and transgressions. Um, and so, you know, instead of <laughs> us basically dabbling in the graves um, of those sins, because those sins are a part of our previous life. They're part of the death. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Hopeless. Stuck. Um, and so I, I think there needs to be a huge wake up in the church. Um, and it's not the woke kind. It's the let's get our lives in line with the gospel and with the word of God. Let's call sin, sin. And let's start dying to it. Um, and living like we have been raised to life, to holiness, to Christ-likeness. Um, sorry, I got a little bit preachy on you. But, you know, the truth of the matter is our lives are being studied more now than ever before by our children, by people who have broken faith, um, who are searching for hope and struggling with doubt, the ones that are buried in the deconstruction of our generations Uh, the ones that are trying to find hope in a world of skepticism. And so our lives are being studied. And if they find hypocrite, then you've lost the right to speak. Um, And so when they find somebody who lives it and who walks their life differently, all of a sudden they have to consider 
how you live and what the gods you serve. Um, all right. So a little bit more on the book of Acts. Um, okay. So let's go to actually to the book of Acts. Um, but first I'm going to pick up at the end of Luke because I really want you to see how, um, these two books dovetail because Luke wrote both the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. Um, and so he kind of wrote them as a part one and a part two. Um, Part one is the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, his life. And then the, this part two is Acts, and it's the eyewitness account of the early church um, up and through Paul's third missionary journey. Okay, so the end of Luke reads, um, And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into the heavens. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now, I want you to just get a kick out of that because they're in, in where? They're in the temple praising God. Um, all right, and then we're going to pick up a little bit in Acts. Um, let's see here. Okay, and this actually backs up a little bit, and I'll pick up in verse uh, 3. To these... Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs and appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Can you imagine those Sunday school lessons in that retreat? It's a 40-day long retreat, and Jesus is going all through the Old Testament, pointing out everything that talks about himself, that talks about the kingdom of God. I mean, God himself is teaching his disciples. I Just get a, get a grasp of that. This is about a hundred and some people that are getting firsthand teaching of Jesus for about 40 days. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs uh, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I want you to focus in on a couple of different things here. But Jesus' progression mirrors the book of Acts. Um, so he talks about Jerusalem first, then Judea and Samaria, and then the other most, uttermost parts of the earth. Um, and so he very much organizes the early church's mission, doesn't he? Um, and then verse 9 is exactly what we talked about at the end of Luke. And after he had said these things, he lifted was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. And behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from that mount called Olivet 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That That is Peter, James, um, Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were of one mind, were continually devoting themselves in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So his brothers have chosen their side at this point. Um, At this time, Peter stands up in their midst, um, about 120 persons, and says, and then we have kind of him doing his grand preaching and 3,000 souls are added. Um, You've got Pentecost coming at that point. But I want you to feel how Luke runs right in and just gently overlaps into Acts, and then Acts takes off from there. Um, Because that was Luke's intention, is that these two would be read as a part one and a part two. Um, And he was very careful in Luke, remember, to give us the timeline of the first-hand accounts of Christ. Um, and so he did tons of interviewing. He did tons of just cross-referencing to just make sure that everything in the book of Luke was as accurate on the timetable as he could make it. I'm so glad that God cared enough to move Luke in his heart to do this um, and provided the Theophilus, um, whomever this man is, to basically fund it, (laughs) essentially. Um, Because I would imagine Luke would have had a lot of travel expenses um, in traveling around to get firsthand accounts and to collect stories and to really corroborate those stories and make sure. I mean, in some ways, he was a reporter that was putting together a story, the greatest story ever told. Um, And so you can kind of think about it that way a little bit. Um, so I want you to think of Acts as kind of a transitional book. Um, it provides that historical transition from Christ's ministry to the spreading of Christianity and organizing the church. Um, as, and then it, you know, basically all of the letters for the rest of the New Testament fit within Acts's timeline for the most part. Um, with I think there might be a couple exceptions at the end, especially like the book of First John and some of those, um, because John would have been past the timeline of Acts. Um, Acts covers a period of 29 AD all the way to probably 60 AD, um, roughly, give or take a couple years on both ends. Um, okay, so let's see. The main theme is basically evangelism. It's the spreading of the gospel um, through spirit, the Spirit-empowered in, church. Um, and the church is exactly what Jesus had talked about in, um, it's John 10, it's recorded, where Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, but I will make them a part of this fold, and it will become one flock. Um, and so what you do, what you have here is in about chapter 7 or 8, um, the following of Christ that we call the church, and this we call this the church age, um, that following would have originally been called the way. Okay, and so everybody following the way, okay, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I think is probably where they got it, Um, but everybody following the way at the beginning was mostly Jews, um, they were Jews that that realized that Jesus was their Messiah. And so they never stopped being Jews. They were followers of the Messiah. 
Um, and so you had you have to understand that. And then at about seven to eight, chapter seven or eight, um, all of a sudden you have P- Peter who has a vision. You have um, Paul called. You know, you have this beautiful moment where all of a sudden the church is very aware through prophecy and through some other things, visions and so on, that God has called them to preach to more than just the Jews, that he's called them to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, And so I'm sure that had them rethinking the great commission that Jesus gives, right? Because at first, their world is Jewish, okay? Their world is entirely Jewish. That would have been normal for them to only think of the Jewish part of themselves. Um, The covenant, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that covenant, Um, And so for them to all of a sudden realize that God was adding to their kingdom Gentiles from every walk of life, um, it was kind of out of their box initially. Um, And so it took a couple of strategic actions on the hands of the Lord in order for that, for them all to come on the same page, I think, Um, which is normal, isn't it? Anytime God goes to change something big, somebody's going to struggle with it somewhere because some of us just don't do well with change. Um, and so this would have been one of the biggest changes that the early church would have had to go through was being a more inclusive environment. Okay, well, I am at the end of my time for this podcast. And so I'm going to pick up, maybe do a little bit more towards the later part of Acts, talk about Paul's journeys. But some of what I'm going to do is as I do the letters later on, I'm going to come back to Acts and talk about the history. Because like, for example, you can't talk about Ephesus without talking about the history of how the gospel came to Ephesus. And so when you do that, you understand the letter of Ephesians so much better because of the context. Um, And so we will be coming back to Acts as kind of our history book. Um, to see what happened in Acts and then get the rest of the story. Um, So thanks for joining me today. Um, Tune in next Wednesday for for, uh, our last part of Acts, and then we will start Romans at some point. Thanks for joining. Have a great day. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.